Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Good morning. Here we go. So glad you're with us this morning. So excited to be back. Our team arrived home safely late Friday night and uh, I asked Joe to kind of prepare because I knew how my brain would be this morning and how I'd be physically jet lag is a very real thing. And I laughed with our first service that I was in a little bit of a fog this morning. And one of the guys that went with me, as soon as the service was over, Greg came up to me and he said, man, I know what you mean by being in the fog. He said, I sat down in my seat this morning and I started feeling for the seatbelt. <laughs> he's been on too many planes the last few days. He feels like he's still there. But I want to thank you for your prayers I want to thank you for the encouragement some of you have sent. Uh, I know you were thinking about us and lifting us up, and I, I'm going to tell you all about it over the next many weeks, but God's doing great things. God is at work all over the world. You need to know that. And I'm just so happy and excited to be part of a church that's serious about going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for your prayers, for your support. Thank you, Joe, for preparing uh, to be ready to preach this morning. John did a great job last week. Joe did a great job the first service. I know he's going to do a great job right now. But I'm going to pray for him, and we're going to let the Lord just speak through him this morning, okay? Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to serve and to sing and now to study your word. Father, I pray you'd be with Joe. I know he's been praying and studying, preparing for uh, this moment. So I pray, Lord, the power of the Spirit, you'd speak through him, challenge us, Father. Help us to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. No, there we go. Um, so like Adam said, uh, they just got back on Friday and, and I just wanna say, uh, and he shared it in the first service, it was a very good trip uh, as it usually is when we go there. Um, and a lot of people at this church, they, they prayed for Adam, um, they prayed for that team that went out, um, but they're back now. And so what that means is that uh, we don't relax, uh, we reload, right? And so we're gonna send out more teams. We're sending out teams throughout the summer we have uh, things going on here in Troop County as well. And so uh, we just need to continue to pray and have that same fervor over the next few weeks and the next few months in, in prayer that we did just this past week for a while Adam was gone too. So he had a, a great trip uh, and talking with the partner that we go to over there as well as the team. Um, they got back on Friday night, but it was a very uh, productive trip and they were able to help spur on the church over there. <laughs> So like Adam said, uh, John preached. Uh, he did a great job last week in Ephesians 2, and so that's actually just where we're gonna continue. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're gonna continue at verse 11. But before we jump in, uh, I wanna give us a little bit of context. If you weren't with us last week or you don't know much about Ephesians, just real fast, uh, what is the book of Ephesians, uh, et cetera. And so uh, Paul, in his... Uh, missionary journey. He starts out in Athens, he goes to Corinth, and he eventually makes his way over in Ephesus. And so if you're a map guy, uh, Ephesus is in present-day Turkey. It's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. There, uh, when Paul gets there, he finds some believers. And this is important. So he finds some believers, but they've only had the baptism of John. And so Paul baptizes them in the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and they immediately receive the Spirit. He takes these disciples, he goes to the synagogue, and the Jews there, they, uh, they reject him. They reject the gospel, they don't believe it. So he goes out into the common areas, into the city, and he preaches. And a lot of people come to faith. We don't know how the exact numbers, but it, we understand from the context of what happens at the end of chapter 19 in Acts that it was enough to concern the local artisans. And so this is also the same time, the same place, the same city that Matt Morvey preached in about a month ago. Uh, the seven sons of Sceva, that also occurs here in Ephesus. And so because there's, after two years, such a large number of converts, uh, the local artisans, they try to uh, stop Paul from preaching anymore. So they were making money off of selling trinkets, selling things to pilgrims that were coming to the temple of Artemis. So this temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was massive. It's just a ruin today. You wouldn't even realize it was there unless a tour guide pointed it out to you. So they were reading this letter in that city while that pilgrimage, while those things were still going on. Paul, he gets out of that riot, he leaves and he heads back to Macedonia. A few years later, Paul's arrested. We know this. He goes to Rome. He's in house arrest, in captivity. And so this letter was one of the captivity letters. It was an encouragement written back to those believers in Ephesus. So as we read this, we just remember the original audience, the church in Ephesus that he wrote this letter to. We also remember that there weren't chapters, there weren't title breaks, those kind of things that uh, have been added in. Um, not a bad thing, but just helps us focus on what it is. So now, we're here at verse 11, John preached verses 1 through 10. And in 1 through 10, we hear about the goodness of the grace of God and how it was a free gift. And jumping in now, verse 11, here we go. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we'll stop there and we'll talk about this first little section. So two verses. Paul, first off, is saying, therefore. So in light of everything I just said in the paragraph up above, in light of what John preached last week, if you were here, in light of the goodness and grace of God, I want you now, Gentile believers, to remember where you were. Remember where your life was like before Christ, before being in relationship with God. So he, he uses this uh, key expression here in verse 11, the uncircumcision and the circumcision. So you'll understand very quickly within this passage that there was two factions, two groups within this church. There were people that came from a Jewish background and Gentile believers, mainly Greeks, but people that came from a non-Jewish background. And we'll talk more and more about how there is severe separation and even segregation between these two factions. And Paul's saying that you were not circumcised. You were not, you had not been changed externally like the Jewish men had been. And so you were not part of that covenant. And he says four important things in verse 12. So follow along with me. Four things that Paul says specifically to the believers. First off, you were separated from Christ. So remember what I told you in the context of this passage, in the context of what happened historically they didn't know Christ. They had received, some of these believers presumably, had received even the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance, but they didn't know Christ. So he's saying first and foremost, even to the ones that did think that they knew, y'all didn't. I had to come and tell you about the gospel. So you didn't know Christ, that's number one. What is the next one? He says, you were alienated. 
from the commonwealth of Israel. So back up to what he just said. You were not part of the Jewish people. You were not part of the covenant or the protection that God had given out and given and promised to the Jewish people. Thirdly, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. They didn't know the good news. They didn't know that through this people group, God was gonna redeem the world. They didn't know the Davidic covenant, that through the line of David, there would be a Messiah come one day. They had no idea of these good news, these promises. And because they didn't know it, they were living in ignorance. They were living without hope. And that's what the fourth thing is that Paul tells them. Having no hope and without God in the world. So you can kind of read that reverse too. Without God, there is no hope. And that's what Paul is trying to really get them to remember. So remember where you were before I came and preached the gospel to you, before you knew Christ. And you have to understand that the Gentile believers reading this and remembering where they were, the religion that they used to practice, it had a very bleak, Greek religion had a very bleak, very grim look on the afterlife. Pretty much you either went to sleep eternally, just nothingness, just sleep, or you walk the earth, your soul, just endlessly without rest. So either way you look at it, it wasn't really much hope. And even in life, all you did was try to go to these temples, like the temple of Artemis, and you just tried to give sacrifice to appease these gods. So maybe for this little bit of life you had, you had some good fortune. You had just some rest in this life. And so Paul's saying that without God, you really were living without hope. And so now we'll step back out of this and we'll talk about why is this relevant? We're 2000 years later, we're still reading this letter. What's relevant for us? The first thing I want you to do this morning is just remember like a testimony. What was your life like before Christ? Who were you before someone came and preached Christ to you? Who were you before you knew the good news? Who were you before you had hope? And the second part I just wanna challenge us to think through a little bit this morning is, where is your hope? And by hope, having hope in God, another way we could ask this is, what, are you, what makes you secure? Is it your relationship in God or is it something else? A lot of people I've encountered just in my time, you know, it's things like your money, your investments, your job, maybe it's your marriage, your family, maybe it's your kids. There's a lot of, and those things are good. I want you to hear me say it, those things are good. But if you lost one of those things, would you still have hope? And unfortunately, being in a role uh, of a pastor at this church, I've seen people lose some of those things. And it, it's tough. It's tough to witness, it's tough to see, but to see somebody still have hope even losing those things, it lets me know it's, it's a resounding testimony to their faith. So he wants them to remember, and I ask you to remember who you were first. And now, starting in verse 13, the second part of this, the middle section, 13 to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So we'll pause there. It's kind of section two. But now, so in light of who you were in the past, here we are now. 
we have Jesus. So if you ever wanted to celebrate today, you want to celebrate the gospel, it's all right there in verse 13 for you. If you want to write something in your house, you want to hang something up, verse 13 is a great candidate. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is good news. If you're here on Sunday and you're hearing that, that is good news. I know I was far off. I still am some days. I feel like it, but I've been brought near. And so there's some key phrases in here that Paul's using that the Gentiles would have picked up on. And even the Jewish readers that would have been part of that church. First off, far off. So when you look at ancient Jewish kind of rabbis writings, how they talked about people, far off is a description of Gentiles. So it's akin to what we would say today as you're unsaved or those people are lost or however we would say it in our kind of local colloquialisms. That was how they described people that did not know the covenant. So mainly Gentiles. But what does it say about them? Far off have been brought near. So I want you to think about that word near, closeness, depending on what your version you're using, but that, it has this idea of true closeness. And so step out of Ephesians for a second. Let's talk about the whole Bible. So we have in the very beginning, we all know it, the creation story in the garden. God is there. He's with his creation. And his creation is with him. God's literally walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he is near and they are near him and they can be near him because they are still perfect. But what happens as soon as he sin, as they sin, they're cursed and they're immediately expelled from the garden. They're no longer near. They're removed from God's presence. And God teaches them through a few different ways of how they can possibly have a little bit of, of a relationship back with them. And so through covenants, he chooses his small people group. He brings them out of slavery. And that's what we're studying right now in Exodus. And here in a few weeks, Adam's gonna preach about the tabernacle. And what's the tabernacle? The tabernacle is God's way of being near his people. It's this holy place where God could be within limitations of the people, the people within limitations of him, be close to him, be near him. And then fast forward a thousand years later, there's a temple being built by Solomon. And what's the point of the temple? It's God being near his people in the promised land and his people within limitations, being able to get close enough to God to have a relationship with him. And then you fast forward again to Jesus. Jesus, a man recorded in history, he came here. We just celebrated his life, his death and his resurrection just a few weeks ago at Easter. And he was near them. He literally ate, drank, preached, healed, all in the presence of the people. And they were near God, whether they recognized it or not. And now in a few weeks, we'll celebrate Pentecost. And what is that? It's the spirit coming to us. And for the first time, for the first time in history, the Holy Spirit is there. And we're gonna talk about it. It gives you access now to be near God. So this idea of nearness, it's not just a word to pass over. This is unprecedented. And so I wanna ask you, are you near God? We're all here, we're all, we all say we're Christians, we profess to be Christians, followers of Christ, but are you really near God? Do you know him or do you just know of him? And so Paul wants them to know this is great news. This is fantastic news. Again, this letter is mainly about unity and encouragement. This is the most encouraging news you'll hear all day. Now he moves on. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, the place of two, so making peace. So there's several ideas, several key images I want us to pick up on. First off, for he himself. So that's reflexive. It's Jesus alone. For he himself. It doesn't say Jesus and, it, no, it's just Jesus. And so you can, you can count that, that Jesus alone does it all. He is our peace and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall. So the dividing wall is a key phrase here. Most historians agree, most scholars agree that Paul is actually referring to the dividing wall in the temple of Jerusalem. So let me paint a picture for you. Jesus, just a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, he comes into the temple after he's done the Palm Sunday entrance. And what's the first thing he does? He clears out the temple. He flips the tables, right? And why has he flipped the tables? Maybe he was angry because they were profiting on selling, you know, the elements for the sacrifices. But mainly it's because there were two courtyards in the Jewish temple. So there is an outer courtyard for Gentiles to come and worship and be near God. And there is an inner courtyard with a serious, like huge wall that only converted Jews or people that were born into the Jewish faith could go into. So they could be a little closer or nearer to God. So when Jesus gets there, the outer courtyard is filled with all these merchants, all these money changers, pens of sheep. We got two for one doves over here. The point is, is that how can I be near God? How can the nations be near God if all this stuff is going on? They've kind of made a mockery of this space. And so Jesus is so angered by it, he flips all these tables to clear out this space for the nations to know him. And you have to imagine that he knew already that this verse would come to pass. And it's a beautiful picture of he himself, Jesus alone, knowing that I'm literally gonna tear down this wall. I'm gonna tear down this wall and there's not gonna be two factions. There's gonna be one group, one unified group within my church. And that's how my perfect plan is gonna play out, whether you guys realize it or not. And so, if you wanna know about hostility, that word in some of your Bibles might mean hatred. It might even say hatred, but that's the actual meaning of that word. And so there was such hatred between these groups. If you remember a few months ago back at D-Now, we had a guest preacher come and he preached through the whole book of Jonah, if you were here, and it was good. And at the end, if you remember, Jonah was so mad, he didn't even want the people to believe in the message of redemption that he was preaching to the Ninevites. He wanted them to be crushed. He wanted them to be destroyed. And he even sits on a hill waiting for it to happen. And when it doesn't, he's infuriated. That's the level of hatred that many of the Jews had towards people outside of the promise and covenant of God. So if you wanna understand how, how deep it went, that's how deep it was, that you literally would rather somebody die and perish and go to hell than to see them redeemed. That's how much they hated them. And so Jesus comes and he unifies them. And in verse uh, 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So it's an encouragement. So it means that both you who were near, the Jews, and you who are far off, the Gentiles, you both needed to hear the gospel. It didn't make a difference uh, how close you thought you were to God. You needed to hear the gospel. And he finishes off with verse 18, and it's beautiful as well. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So I want you to 
fixate in that word access for a minute. So access, it's only used three times, this specific word in your Bible, in your New Testament. It's only in there three times. And this is a very specific meaning. So imagine you get, for whatever reason, the opportunity to go to Buckingham Palace and you're gonna meet the Queen of England. So you're gonna do your check-in, they're gonna put you through the security, they're gonna give you a badge, and then the next thing they say is not gonna be, all right, go on, head up, up the stairs, third door on your right, you can't miss it. No, definitely not the procedure. They're going to escort you. They're going to bring you all the way up those stairs, all the way down that hall. They're going to present you to the queen. They're gonna say who you are so the queen knows you. That's what this word means. And so the readers, the original readers of this letter would have understood that. This is not just to drop in and see how you're doing. Cool, I'm gonna move on. This is serious privilege behind the scenes access. And the readers would have understood this. And so today, why is it relevant? Are you taking advantage of that access? If you've been given it because Christ is escorting you through the spirit all the way to the king of kings, are you taking advantage of that access? When's the last time you just really stopped and prayed? When's the last time that you really just stopped and allowed God to just, just be with you? And so Paul, again, he's encouraging them because before, remember, they had no hope. But now they have this level of access that's unprecedented uh, for anybody in their time period. He finishes off these last few verses. So starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this last section, for through him, we have, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. So I want us to compare where we are right here. We're in, we're in this last section and how did he start it off? So if you're looking at verse 19 with me, also look at verse 12. He started off saying that they're separated from Christ and they were alienated from the commonwealth, the commonwealth of Israel. But now, what is he saying? He's saying that they're citizens. So again, ancient readers, citizenship is a big deal. To be a citizen in the Roman Empire meant you had very specific and very unique privileges that most people didn't. Some of them are just as basic and as inerrant as we would think as the right to a fair trial. If you were a citizen, you didn't even have that right. And so Paul, time and time again, if you've read Acts, he uses, he leverages his citizenship to get out of tight jams. He gets out of things because he is a citizen. He even gets an audience with uh, Caesar because he is, or asks for one, because he is a citizen. And so whenever the reader's hearing this, that not only were you used to be foreigners, you weren't part of this nation. You're now part of the nation of God. You're not only just part of it, you're a citizen of it. That would have just clicked off. Whatever they were doing, they would have looked up and realized, wow, this is special. Not only do I have access now to talk to the king, but I'm a citizen of this. And better yet, I'm not just a citizen, I'm part of the family. He finishes off that verse and says, He's, you're members of the household of God. So I'll tell you personally, as someone who through international adoption is a naturalized citizen of the United States, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to be able to come here to be a citizen. It's not, it's not easy, I know that, because uh, I have other people uh, friends who have gone through that and I, I was able to do it as a child. 
But I'll tell you too, to be adopted into something is beautiful. It's powerful. And so Paul, again, he's encouraging them. This is where you used to be, and this is where you are now. And he goes on now. So now that you are citizens, now that you are a member of this household, I wanna tell you what this household's about. So what are the values of this household? The values of this household are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the values are built on the writings of the prophets, so the Old Testament, the writings of the apostles, the New Testament, and the cornerstone being the teachings of Christ, your gospel. And so this church, the household of God, it is built on scripture. It's built on this and nothing else. And so I would tell you whether you're, you're with us today for the first time, if you're just visiting and you're gonna go back to your home church next week, I would just implore you that if your church is not teaching the Bible, if your church is not founded in scripture, I would tell you to run. And it sounds dramatic, but it's true. So I would tell you that anytime, anytime somebody stands in this pulpit here at this church, you can be sure that we're trying to preach God's word. And that is always our intent. And it's your job as the church to hold us to that as well. And he moves on from there and he says, in whom the whole structure, so in Jesus Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So there's this idea again. So I remember I told you, these people were reading this letter in the city of Ephesus, this massive temple on the outskirts of the city. And so this buzzword temple pops up in the letter. They're probably thinking, okay, a temple, a place where I can go and be near God, a place that a sacred, holy space that I can go and be close to God. And they hear this and they realize that I am now that temple. I am now that space. And better yet, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So better yet, not only am I being made this way, but we as a church are being built up this way. We as a church are being built together to be a holy, sacred space for God. That's what our intent is. That's what we should be. So, so the final, what is relevant? Why, you know, why does this matter 2,000 years later? How are you helping build up the church? So I have a friend and I've heard him say it uh, many times, but you can retire from your job. You can retire from, you know, a career, uh, an early career, whether it's sports or military or whatever, and find even a second job. But you can't retire from your church. There's no retirement. Paul didn't retire. None of the apostles just, that's enough. That's enough. I think I've done enough. I'm just gonna ride this last little bit out. That's not how it works. And so if you've been in our church for a long time and you feel like I've been through all the Sunday school books I could ever have gone through, I've been through all the Bible lessons, I've heard every sermon about every book pretty much, then that means that you've been built up so much it's time for you to build up somebody else. That's what that means. And, and maybe you're at the other end of it. And maybe you're at the other end and you need somebody to build you up. That's the work of the church as well. So our church, it has a lot of different functions. It is supposed to go out into our community. It is supposed to do good works that he predestined. 
And it is supposed to evangelize, of course, but it also has an internal function and responsibility as well. And so we are supposed to be building each other up. That's the purpose of adult Sunday school. It's the purpose of our kids' programs. It's to be able to build them, these kids up, to build us up as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ into these holy temples. So as we, as we finish up today, I just want to encourage you about these kind of questions that come up in this scripture about where have you been and where are you now? Are you near Christ? Do you take advantage of that access? And finally, how are you building up Christ's church? How are you helping us build up these people that you see in this room into a holy temple so they can draw near to Christ, so you can draw near to Christ? And that's the challenge too that Paul leaves in this letter. It's encouraging, but it is challenging to them as well. And so as, as we finish up today, I just want to pray for this church. I want to pray uh, as the praise team comes back that we would do that work, that we would be unified in that as well. Uh, regardless of whatever group, especially within the church that maybe you don't like, uh, through Jesus, he's removed that hostility. He's removed that hatred. He removed that hatred between God and man, and he removed that hostility between man and man. There's no segregation, especially within the church of Christ. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And like I said, the team's gonna come back on. And if you have any questions about how do you draw near to Christ, what does it mean to have access to Christ, we'll be down here. Um, Adam and I will be down here and we will pray with you and pray through that together. So let me pray for us. Father, we, we love you and we thank you we thank you for your word and we just ask that you would guide this church uh, with a unifying spirit to do your work. And God, we ask that we would never take for granted the access you've given us and that we would draw so close and so near to you the way that you had originally designed. And we pray all this in your son's precious name, amen.